Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! In each episode we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. Now this could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear, might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great backwards! And this week we're joined by David Goldblatt. David is a football historian and author of The Ball is Round, A Global History of Football, The Game of Our Lives, The Meaning and Making of English Football, for which he won the William Hill Sportsbook of the Year Award, The Age of Football, The Global Game in the 21st Century, and many more, too numerous to mention. Thanks for coming on, David. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank, thanks very much for joining us. So this week we're looking at a goal magazine from July 29th, 1972. So just having a look at the cover, we've got on the cover, the World's Greatest Soccer Weekly. Cover stars Colin Bell of Manchester City in England, crouched down in an England tracksuit. Leads in action in super colour. Derek Dugan leads the Watney Challenge. Uh, cover price is nine pence. Uh, Jeff Hurst has made the right move. Bill Shankly making money the Liverpool way. And Bobby Kellard a tiger on the park. Uh, anything you've picked out from the cover there, uh, uh, David? Uh, Derek Dugan. That just transports me to 1972. So I'm about seven when this magazine came out. And uh, it's, the, uh, it's the season after Tottenham have beaten Wolves in the UEFA Cup final over two legs. And my old man went to both legs of that um, final. And Derek Dugan, Wolves, it's all sort of part of that moment. So, yeah, no, it's very intensely nostalgic, really, really transportive. You know, Derek Dugan, in a funny way, was sort of uh, like my archetypal footballer in some ways, you know, of the of the era as a kind of seven-year-old. That's what sort of footballers look like and behave. <laughs> so that was really great. And then it was so funny to be reading about the Watney Cup. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like, you know, again, completely transports me to that moment. I'm suddenly overwhelmed with images of Watney Red Barrel adverts from the era uh, and uh, New Year's Eve parties at uh, a Scots family round the corner who always had a New Year's Eve do definitely Watney's Red Barrel at that. Um, so that was kind of, that took me there. And then it made me think, oh, who, how, what was the score of that final? And I checked in um, with the details and I remembered it was all decided by a Martin Chivers uh, goal, 2-1 uh, in the first leg um, at um, Molyneux and then it was 1-1 at Tottenham. And he scored this unbelievable rocket 30 metres out shot. I've forgotten how great Martin Chivers was, how much I loved him as a seven-year-old. So that was like my little YouTube moment. So, yeah, no, I was like 
right right in there with uh, with Derek Dugan. He's he's quite quite a striking looking man as well, isn't he? He's um, he, he looks quite rough and ready. I think he had a bit of a moustache as well. Um, I maybe... think that's strangely in my seven year old head, I had him confused with some kind of folk singer guitarist, which <laughs> of course yeah. is profoundly inappropriate. But somehow in my seven year old head, it's like uh, it, it's mixed up. Mm. So we'll be going to the magazine then. So the first yeah, couple of pages, sure. yeah, talks about the headline there. What needs want grand slam gold? What needs want grand gold slam? <laughs> <laughs> I noticed Bristol Rovers yeah. are about to face Wolves, and as you may know, yeah. I moved to Bristol like seventeen, God, seventeen years ago. And though Tottenham is my first love, you know, Bristol Rovers is my local squeeze, five hundred meters up the road. I've got no kind of like back history really of Bristol Rovers before 2003. So it's quite funny to see, you know, I never back in the day, I like Bristol Rovers totally not on my map as a seven year old. What's that? I'm not even sure I knew where Bristol was. So it's quite funny to see that, you know, you see, you realise what different eyes you see it with, you know, nearly 50 years later. So I was going to ask, how do you come to choose Bristol Rovers over Bristol City? I'm 500 metres from right. Bristol Rovers. I'm down the road. I mean, it's like, it's just a no-brainer. I mean, not that I'm against City, don't get me wrong. I'm very old school. Like a lot of people in Bristol in the 50s and 60s, you know, you go and see Rovers one weekend, and you go and see City the other weekend. And friends of mine have season tickets to City. And uh, occasionally I get, you know, one of them doesn't go, I go and, go and take a seat. So I see City once or twice a season. Uh, and, you know, what can't not have a soft spot when you're playing, you know, <laughs> drink up the Zyder. I mean, it's a joy. So, yeah, that's... But Rovers, when I first moved to Bristol, I think about a week after I arrived, I realised I hadn't really clocked it before. I realised, oh, Rovers are up the road. They're playing today. The sun is shining. And off I went. And it was like, OK, this is home. And so it's proved to be. So have a wee look at some of the articles there. So I guess we just go straight to the Derek Dugan one. So Dug warms up for record bid. So it's uh, the article saying here that uh, Derek Dugan needs only one goal to equal the highest English league total of any Irishman held for more than 20 years by the immortal Peter Doherty. So I hadn't heard of Peter Doherty, but I looked him up for this. Played with Blackpool uh -huh. in Man City from 1933 until the outbreak of the Second World War. And then from 1945, after the war, he played for Derby, Huddersfield and Doncaster Rovers. And uh, Goal says there that Doherty's got 197 league goals. And uh, Derek Dugan was on 196 uh, goals in, in the English, English league. That's great. It's amazing how you just forget, you know, these names disappear. Yeah. It's funny. What, what are the ones that stick? And what are the ones that we sort of remember? It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. about the Doog. I mean, it's a good nickname as well. I think that helps the historical memory. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was a bit of a personality in those days as, as well, Derek Dugan. Sure. I think he became a bit of a pundit, didn't he, after his, his playing career had ended? Or he was yeah. a businessman. Yeah, I think he was also, yes, I seem to remember suits with some very large lapels. <laughs> yeah. As a, um, as, a, uh, as a pundit, yeah. It was the 
A pundit won one of the World Cups, I think, wasn't he? I think that's right. I think it might have been 74. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might have been yeah. 74. Same, presumably alongside Klopp at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On ITV. Yeah. They double. Yeah. I think he was involved with it. I don't know if they mentioned it here, but the PFA as well, wasn't he? He was quite heavily involved. Right. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I like it on the next page that Bob Stokoe's taking his holiday in Jersey. <laughs> I can't help but sort of know, you know, the distance between the lifestyle and the tastes of uh, the professional footballer of 1972. I don't think too many people are nipping off to Jersey for a week who are playing in the Premier League right now. Yeah. You I know, think Dubai's the minimum, isn't it? That's That seems to be out that way. That's where they go. If they've got a day off, they'll fly out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, burning a lot of carbon. They're, mm. not going, they're not going to Jersey. So what you're seeing there about Bob Stokoe, so the article's saying there that... Um, his Blackpool team, he's decided that he's going to just let them train without him. The Blackpool boss explains, the players are sick of the sight of me and fed up with seeing me on the touchline, geeing them up. <laughs> Which, again, is the kind of thing that you wouldn't, you wouldn't really hear of now as the manager sort of taking time away and saying, Ugh, they don't need to see me for a while. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the sort of tone is, <laughs> it's so different, isn't it? I mean, I rather liked it in that. You know, it sort of almost feels slightly slightly quaint the voice that it's written in i almost sometimes i felt like i was reading you know uh the scoutmaster's report oh, you know, <laughs> one division one do you know do you know what i mean the first round of the watney cup was was coming up uh that weekend so bristol rovers v wills Notts county v sheffield united peterborough v blackpool and lincoln v burnley so uh, i looked up some of the uh, results bristol oh, yeah. rovers won 2-0 all righty! <laughs> uh, Burnley beat Lincoln 1-0 with a Leighton James goal in the last minute. Sheffield United beat Notts County 3-0 with Tony Curry scoring two of them. But the most interesting result was uh, Peterborough United and Blackpool do 0-0, but it went extra time and Peterborough won 7-6 in penalties. But Don Heath scored one of Peterborough's penalties, but he was substituted earlier in the game. And the referee later on admitted that he'd made a mistake, letting them take a penalty kick, but the league allowed the result to stand. A life without VAR, right? <laughs> yeah. And great. Tom, maybe, sorry. Sorry, David. It's maybe worth explaining to the, the listeners what the Watney Cup was about. What the Watney Cup was, yeah. Oh, now you're... Now it was like... What was it? Wasn't it a sort of like... Late summer before the season starts. Yeah, it's a season opener, yeah. Uh, apparently it was the first um, domestic cup competition to have a sponsor. Okay. Okay, even before the League Cup became the Milk Cup. Maybe that uh, was yeah. later on. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so I only ran for four years, 1970 until 1973, held at the start of the season, featuring the two clubs from each of the four divisions that had scored the most goals the previous season, who had not been promoted or qualified for European football, if you can okay. understand. Okay. I can see, you can see how they sort of got to that. What yeah. a great thing. Bristol Rovers. So what league were Rovers in? Were they in like old school division three? Yeah, probably would have been. Yeah. That's their sort of natural territory, really. Somewhere in the bottom third is like, that's where we're comfortable. I love the picture on the, uh, on the next page of, um, uh, editor, uh, Gold's editor, Alan Hughes, looking at the uh, 
special soccer wall chart for the next season that's just come off uh, a fantastic old printing press. Yeah. And again, it's like, whoa, another era, isn't it? You know, these big, extraordinary lithographic printers that would have uh, produced this. I love the thought of that gold chart. I don't know if I had that one, but I certainly had. I was a man for gold charts in 1972, big time. Mm. I was sticking together pieces of graph paper with sellotape and then plotting Arsenal and Tottenham's relative league position <laughs> on a week by week basis. So like this was right up my right up my street. I can I can tell you, and I don't know if you checked Tom, but there's two of these available on eBay at the minute. One is one is mint, it's not been filled in at all, and the other one has been filled in. Now if you look around the the edges of it, those are actually spaces where with the magazine over the, the next few weeks or months, they they print the, the strips. So it's a shirt and the colours and you cut them out and paste them on to the the wall chart all the way around. So, so how much was the mint one? Um, it's it's on a it's um, an auction at the minute. I think it was maybe I don't know if it was between a fiver and a tenner. I'm keeping an eye on it because that's right up my street. Is that with the strips or is it just the just the chart? The, that's just the chart. The the other one, which I think is a bit more exp expensive, has all the the strips in it as well. So are you talking? Yeah, have a wee check on that. I will do. So also on that page there, there's a wee feature, Your Fit Doctors Tell Worthington. Uh, and if you, you remember this, um, uh, David, Frank Worthington's transfer to Liverpool uh, was called off because the player had high blood pressure at a medical. Uh, and apparently Bill Shankly told him to go off on holiday to Mallorca uh, and we'll try again when he came back. And when he came back, his blood pressure was even higher, apparently. <laughs> oh dear, I think we know Mr. Worthington liked a beer. Mm. So <laughs> that must be what happened. Yeah, there's actually there's a picture, you can find a picture online uh, of him at Anfield signing, you know, signing the contract there with Bob Paisley looking on. Uh, of course, he didn't, he didn't uh, join Liverpool, he went on, he joined Leicester City uh, in June of 1972. So the thing with this, Tom, is that, I mean, I've, I've got high blood pressure, so when, when I was diagnosed with it, I you know, read up and things. At this point, there wasn't really medication to control it. So it was really an issue. And it actually sort of round about this time is when the, the medication started coming in that could actually control it. So, you know, if, if a player's got high blood pressure these days, it probably just wouldn't be an issue because he'd be medicated. And... I really love the list of the other, the names of the other players who are, uh, as it says, on the move, just feeling like there aren't players called Ray Lug anymore. <laughs> what a name. Where's he going? Watford to Plymouth. Fantastic. I mean, there aren't too many Dick Renwicks that are half dozen these days either, you know, or Eddie Garbutt. It's just like, they're just not called that anymore. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. We've got a Bellamy. I mean, all right, but these days, you know, the last one I remember was Craig. In 1972, it's Arthur. I love it. Uh, so it's a couple of moves to pick up there. Peter Cormack, Nottingham Forest to Liverpool. Uh, Don Givens, Luton to QPR. And Jeff Hurst, West Ham to Stoke. Yes, I've forgotten all about Jeff Hurst going to Stoke. Yeah. Completely forgotten about uh, Completely forgotten about that. 
Oh, then it's such a great article. It is like absolutely painting by numbers, isn't it? The next article. Yeah, it's called There's Golden Banks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it is. It's like you just know. You just know exactly what they're gonna. What what it's gonna say. You know, old colleague welcomes aging player. For, you know, who will get new lease of life at club. Oh, it's great. And he's only 30 at this point. Uh, and uh, Gordon Banks says this isn't the first time manager Tony Woodington has gone for experience and it's paid off. <laughs> you know, it's like cliche bingo, isn't it? <laughs> with, uh, with this article. Uh, but Jeff obviously feels he can do a job for Stoke, Dash, and so do I. So he went on to play over 100 league games for, uh, for Stoke and scored 30 goals, which wasn't a bad return, I guess. Pretty damn good, man. How old was he? What was he, 30? 30 when he signed, yeah. And he yeah. Went had a season at West Brom as well after he, after he finished at Stoke. Okay, so what, he retired at 33? Yeah, yeah. I wonder, you know, I wonder, it's interesting to think how all these folks' careers would have been different if they'd have had the sort of training medicine diet etc yeah. of contemporary of contemporary players yeah well that, that's the thing you, you've have heard you say uh david talking about the sort of great clubs of years going by and how nowadays they just couldn't live with the fitness of just your sort of average premiership team i don't think they could i mean you just look at the data you know from opta and so on and even in the last 10 or 15 years the number of um, high intensity sprints uh that the average player is performing in a game have doubled i mean that's like you know a high intensity sprinting that really that's burning you isn't it yeah. and uh, they doubled the level just in the last 15 years so i think people would really really be struggling you know and like, bless them, there's a lot of smoking and drinking, <laughs> and a lot of eggs and bacon and beer going on, and nothing wrong with that. But like, if you want to compete with contemporary footballers, I think they'd have been in trouble. I think what's incredible about this sort of period, you know, quite quite a big period, is that footballers would come back from the, to the pre-season overweight and they would burn it off in the pre-season, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you just couldn't get away with that nowadays. You need to be constantly at it. No way. You just look at the sort of state of everybody these days. I mean, can you imagine what these teams would have looked like wearing the figure hugging cuts, <laughs> right? That I particularly think like Tottenham were wearing one a couple of years ago. I mean, it was virtually a straight jacket. I mean, you know, and you could see everybody was absolutely lean, zero fat. Man, people are in incredible, incredible shape. Yeah. You know, and the sort of, you know, conditioning work that everybody's doing uh, now and the speeds has gone and the speeds they reach, you know, it's, um, I mean, look, that's not to say there wasn't like, you know, just unbelievable talent and brilliance and, you know, Martin Chivers, what can I say? a goal to grace the contemporary Premier League. Um, but uh, somebody probably would have had it before, uh, before, he, before he got the shot off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look look at Bobby, the Bobby Charlton piece. That's on the next page. 
He's going, he discovered muscles I never even knew I had under the special tech training techniques created by a former world record runner. And it's like pretty late in your career to discover that, Bobby. I mean, God, it's like he's in his mid-30s by 1972, isn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, so that's a piece, well, just a wee bit there saying that Joe Lancaster... Uh, is training uh, the Manchester United team. So again, I looked up Joe, Joe Lancaster and he, he trained Manchester City for a, for a number of years, uh, starting the summer of 1967. He was a fitness trainer in 68 uh, when City won the first division. He died in 2015, but his, his, daughter, his daughter said at the time, uh, so he died right at the end of 2015, and his daughter said he had his 89th birthday on December 4th, which is not bad going, as he smoked for 72 years at 1.80 a day. Well, there's hope for us all, yeah. That's the best news I've had since Math King was released. <laughs> Bless Joe Lancaster. Well, it's, it's a do, do as I say, not as I do, isn't it, that one? <laughs> Another absolutely classic article written by you know Arcala of the second uh the second Cubs with Cub Scouts. If Bournemouth had gone up into the second division, I think Ted would have found the going a lot harder. <laughs> it's just do you know what I mean? It's like oh it's another era. Rather good to see Ted McDougall as well, slightly randomly to the side. Yeah, yeah. Well so yeah, so Bobby Charlton's talking about Man United. They're going to play Bournemouth in a pre-season friendly, and uh, he's going to play against Ted McDougall for the first time. Uh, Gold star Mac has a gift like Jimmy Greaves, uh, and of course Ted McDougall signed for Manchester United just a few months after that. Uh huh. And uh, wasn't there that long? Scored five goals in eighteen league games before he moved to West Ham before the season ended. Okay, it wasn't a happy time at Manchester United. Things were kind of they're about to get. They're gonna know the season after this, they're gonna get relegated. Yeah, things are things are not happy. Great picture, though, often sort of rather unflattering, strange pictures that were chosen. <laughs> I, find. I mean, nobody would publish this picture today with his foot up in the air like that, would they? Yeah. <laughs> sort of falling over the back of the other player. So, so, Ted famously scored nine goals against Margate in the FA Cup for Bournemouth. Okay. In 1971, I, I think that's that's still a record, is it? In terms of the FA Cup proper, I think there was a couple of players who scored ten in the the, the earlier rounds, um, but f 256 goals and 535 league appearances for Ted. That's some going there. I like it though that they like Bournemouth is getting a running. I don't know about you guys, but I felt like. It was much less first division England centric than uh, often football the football coverage is today. I mean, yeah. we'll see later on, but you know, Wrexham gets a shout, Dumbarton gets a shout. You know, there's uh, who's that man? We'll see him later on from Hibs, uh, full colour picture, and. Um, you know, there's even what we'll, we'll see. I we'll want to talk about there's some reports from Ireland, from Northern Ireland. It's yeah. really interesting as well. And yeah, you know, like Wrexham, you know, like down in the pits is getting coverage. So I really like that. It's a slightly different, you know, I mean, it's Division One was still Division One and it was a big jump, but just feels like it's slightly less otherworldly the way mm. the Premiership is to everything else today. 
Well, Tom and I are both Clyde Bank supporters, so we, we get that even just the slightest mention in a magazine of your team, and it's it, it makes your day, it makes your week. <laughs> yeah. It means so much. Absolutely. No, good. We'll pick some of those out. There are some real... I really love that, yeah, that, you, uh, that you, you get that. Just before we turn the page, there's an advert that seems very much of its time. It's that men, are you ashamed of your body? <laughs> yeah. No ifs or buts. So interestingly, you know, these days fat shaming is the thing. So all the adverts on Twitter, which are encouraging for you to walk more or do whatever, it's all about shedding the fat. Yeah. Whereas this dude, right, is just very skinny, skinny. and like unmuscly. <laughs> And actually, would be like that's what everybody's aiming for these yeah. days. I mean, it is, it is interesting. The footballers do look a bit skinnier. I mean, also less muscly. And it was, you know, in 1972, the rate of obesity in this country was very low, very low. Um, you know, and it's still, you know, generations who grew up, if not, you know, in the war, then certainly through a period of rationing into the 1950s you know, really proper shit food has only just, you know, shit industrialised food has only shown up in the last decade, you know, whereas, so again, you're much likely to be like really so skinny than uh, than really fat. I thought that was, I really like that. Hmm. I thought it was really interesting. We turn over the page then. Uh, so, uh, so Bill Shankly, uh, making money the Liverpool way, shrewd Shrank Shankly has a head for figures. Uh, and this is sort of looking at some of the transfers that Liverpool have, Liverpool have made. Uh, a lot of figures in there. Yep, yep. They are, I mean, all incredibly small, aren't they? Mm. Ray Clements, 20 grand to buy Ray Clements. I mean, yeah. I could buy Ray Clements virtually. <laughs> yeah, I was really struck by the numbers. I was also struck. I thought it was, um, you know, slightly poignant. I mean, Shanks is about to retire. I think this is going to be his last season in charge. They right. win the UEFA Cup in 73 and then he retires. Am I right? And, uh, you know, he, he's not financially secure. Mm. He's not really financially secure in his, you know, in his final years. You know, not particularly comfortable. I mean, saying Don, um, not Don Ruby, um, uh, Alf Ramsey's going to, you know, who's the England manager at this point, is going to retire in a, a year or so. And he too actually rather eked it out over the uh, the final decade of his life. So I was just sort of struck by uh, uh, by that, thinking about, you know, maybe he was making money for Liverpool. You know, they made £72,000 on uh, transfer deals. <laughs> Just like, and just so extraordinary that, you know, one person would be doing all of this. Like, you're not just training, like, the main, the, the, the first team, but you're dealing with all the intricacies of transfers. You know, no director of football or, like, it's just other, you know, it's, how can I describe it? It's like uh, so undercapitalized sort of small little family business rather than the kind of like corporations that you've got today or that Liverpool is today. I mean, the idea that, you know, Klopp personally would be seeing, you know, to the details of uh, the financial regime and like, of course, it's inconceivable. Mm. 
So I like that. I thought that was really interesting. Really struck me reading that. I got, of course, there's a little bit down there. There's, uh, Barnsley strikers fight the flab. <laughs> okay, there are some flabby people in 1972. I tell you that. So it says Barnsley strikers Brian Mahoney and Norman Dean have been spending their summer break sticking to a specially ordered diet. Dean was out of football all last season, recovering from two broken legs. Mahoney was fi- fighting a losing battle against weight problems. Yeah, you wonder what that's about. You know, I looked up Brian Mahoney in Wiki, and it describes him. Uh, it says he was quite a stout person. <laughs> That's his Wiki entry. I'm going to look up. You wouldn't see players sort of admitting that they were struggling with their weight now. That's not happening. I'm definitely looking up Brian Mahoney <laughs> after this. You've been very good, guys, on the Wikipedia. I'm impressed. We go for the page again, then? And we've got Adidas. Yeah, it's a great advert, eh? They're just about... I mean, I think it's an interesting moment. You know, they're just about to get their teeth seriously into FIFA. This is the moment that mm. Adidas, um, through Horse Dazzler, become the... Uh, the kingpins of global sport politics. And they realise, you know, this is the moment they realise, if you want to sell a lot of trainers, then you need to have famous folks wearing them. They've already done that a little bit with individual players and athletes. But in the early 70s, they realised what you've got to do is you've got to sort out the football associations. So if you sort out the Brazilian Football Association, then all Brazilian players at the World Cup will be wearing Adidas. And that obviously requires, you know, uh, an awful lot of bribery to make that work. And this is when, you know, this is that, that's when a lot of that stuff is born. And they are, um, Horst Dazzler, who runs Adidas in Europe, uh, becomes the mentor um, in 1974, of Joao Havelange, the Brazilian who becomes the president of FIFA. So I thought, yes, that's what struck me. I thought, yes, Adidas means action. I think that means a large brown envelope and an overseas account <laughs> in the Cayman Islands. That's the kind of action that I'm, I'm thinking about when I look at that. So, so the, the one thing I love, whenever I see the older Adidas adverts like this, is if you look at the, the bottom right, it's the UK agents and distributors, Umbro International. So, I mean, at this point, they were working together. You know, Umbro were the, the distributors of Adidas in the UK, and now they're... Okay. Long outstripped, if you'll forgive the pun, by their German competitors. Yeah. yeah. But some smashing-looking boots there, and the, the Telstar ball as well. Absolutely. They're looking very classy. Looking very classy. I, I just think, I just think it's, as I say, that it's timeless. It, it's it's not been bettered for me that sort of design. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I wonder what it's like to play. And I mean, in some ways, it's still a very old school boot. I mean, it's made of leather, isn't it? Mm. Like, there's no synthetic material in it. Very basic six screwing studs. I mean, the technology of this boot, in some ways, is you know the same as it was 20, 30 years ago before that, you know, just the design is better and all of the sorts of transformations, well, you know what football boots are like these days. Uh, and it's sort of just before all of that comes in, it has sort of simplicity to it, to its aesthetic. I've, I've, I have such an issue with modern football boots because there's no protection to them. 
And that's how I think so many times you see players, they'll, they'll get a stud on their boot and they'll go down in, you know, agony. And it's yeah. the boots, the boots, the, the boots aren't protecting them. It's the trade-off, you know, between control and touch and, uh, and protection, seems to me. I mean, I imagine those boots are like completely different class for controlling, uh, controlling the ball. There's a lot of studs on one of them. Yeah. They, they think those are mouldies. I think there's a moulded studs those yeah. ones. Yeah, no, they look at. They look at. All right, turning over the page, we've got some colour pictures now. Uh, Frank Lampard of West Ham, Tony Dunn of Manchester United, and Terry Hennessy of Derby and Wales. <laughs> oh, Terry Hennessy. Fuck <laughs> my language, but fucking hell. Oh, Terry, what a bruiser. Man, and what happened to him? He wasn't like, I can't believe it. He's only like, I don't know, he's only about 33, but he looks like he's about 50. Yeah. Yeah, I looked, I, yeah. I looked up 29, he was from that picture of his team. No, stop it. He can't be 29 in that picture. 29, he was. He was born in 1942. So at, at that point, that is extraordinary. Left. This man, I mean, I don't, shame the audience can't see it. I mean, you know, he's very bald other than two enormous sideburns. And the look is, the look is like very rough pub in South Wales and he's the bouncer, mm. is my, is the look. And the thing is, he's just, is he playing for Derby at this point? He is playing for Derby. Yeah. They're about to win. They, they're going to win the um, the first division, right? <laughs> this yeah. season. And this dude. <laughs> also, his his neck is the same width as his head. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to throw this out here. I think he looks a bit like John Hartson. Oh, I think that's very tough on John Hartson. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to say that to his face. I mean, hints definitely. Yeah, hints. <laughs> oh, it's it is an extraordinary picture. Footballers, where footballers look like that. Yeah. Frank Lampard, though, actually is cutting rather a dash, I would say. It's quite modern, yeah. really, by comparison. So, certainly comparison to uh, to Terry Hennessy. <laughs> no, Tony Dunn, though, like, who? who? I've got no recollection of Tony Dunn. Have you? From uh, Man United? I don't. They played 414 league games for Manchester United. None of them as substitute started every one of them. Wow. God, he's just off my radar. He slightly looks like something out of Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> he just died this year. In, in yeah, June. he did in June. Overshadowed him, bless his soul. Yeah. Uh, moved on to Bolton in 1973. 170 league games for them before going over to Detroit Express. Okay. Got a little bit of time in the NASL sorting yeah. pension out. I hope that is really though. Tenny Harris, it, oh look at look at his face. Mm. <laughs> you don't really don't want to be messing with this dude. <laughs> so over the page then, and we've got uh, Jim Steele. Jim's the saint with steel appeal. So this is Jim Steele, uh, who's just signed for uh, Southampton. The okay, new Iron Man as manager. It's manager right. Ted Bates, yes. Who famously had the worst sculpture in the history of football carved in his honour. Right. Um, they decided it looked like uh, the uh, the little one from the Crankies. 
And so they had to take it down and get a new one made. <laughs> Have you ever seen it? It is actually, that's worth Googling. That is one ugly statue. Poor Ted. <laughs> statue makers don't really get things that well, do they? Mm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of quite poor, poor the, football The Ronaldo statues. one, which was awful, wasn't there? There was a Ronaldo one, which was... Oh, the Ronaldo one's terrible. Yeah. The Ronaldo one's terrible. I mean, there are some quite, you know, I quite like, there's a, um, is it Stanley Matthews? No, it's, um, oh, what's his name? Outside Preston. Uh, Tommy, what's his name? Outside Preston. Sort of like inside a pool, three of them. And, you know, the Bobby Moore statue at Wembley, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's a bit of a cliche. I mean, he is kind of, you know, a sort of Greek of Phoebe uh, looking out into the distance. But it's it's definitely Bobby Moore. Mm. It's definitely Bobby Moore. And the Shanks one isn't bad. I'm not quite sure about Bob Stokoe at Sunderland. Have you seen that one? No. Mm. Slightly looks like a sort of like spooky sort of child catcher is the, the feel when, uh, when, I, uh, when I see it. Yeah, they're very variable. Thierry Henry on his knees is pretty good at uh, Arsenal. Bit of a change, anyway. Bit of a change, that one. Tom Finney, you were thinking of? Uh, exactly. Thank you so much. And what else have we got on here? So, so Jim, Jim Steele, I'm sure you are going to say, Tom, but he, he didn't actually play that many games throughout his career, I don't think. He was at Dundee, 75 games, Southampton, 161. Five games at Rangers on loan, and then went to the States, which... But a career isn't a huge amount of games, I don't think. Again, interesting, uh, the way he's talking, when he's talking about uh, Leeds scouted him. Uh, Leeds watched me several times, but every time they did, I seemed to play rubbish. <laughs> Again, it's the kind of honesty that you wouldn't really get uh, these no. days. No, no. And it's also, Steele says he hasn't found a great deal of difference between the Scottish and English First Division, which is probably not what you'd say... No, but you would have quite reasonably said that in uh, in the 1970s. Yeah, the gap was, you know, the gap the gap wasn't really there. Then what we got? We got a funny Gunners broadside. God, they do like a bad pun. <laughs> I, mean, I guess things haven't really changed. But it's that same old I mean, like what article? Star conscious youngsters are failing to make the grade at Arsenal because they lack dedication and determination. Declares Chief Scout Gordon Clark. So we know that story. That one's still doing the rounds. See, many brilliant players fall by the wayside and are overtaken by less skillful players because they lack those two important commodities. We hear that all the time that, you know, it's, it's your attitude more than. The language doesn't, just doesn't change. Yeah. And then we have two extraordinary. The next advert on the next page. <laughs> what would they. what? It, I mean, to, to the listener, it's Peter Shilton and Les Cocker. And look at the look on Peter Shilton's face. <laughs> like, is there no stylist? Is there no photographic director? It's like, would the word gormless come to mind? 
I'm, I'm worried that I'm, I'm sporting the same sort of style as Les Cocker in that photograph. At the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the jumper in the chair on. So. Yeah, you haven't got the kind of like same weave on your jumper, though. It's a bit more oh, kind yeah. of like Fisherman's jumper, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, but sort of U boats thing, yeah. So it's an advert for Cheetah Sports Spoots. For once, Peter Shilton and Les Cocker are on the same side. So Les Cocker was a coach of Leeds and uh, England. Uh, he was coach under Ralph Ramsey when England won the World Cup, and he was later assistant to Don Revy at England and um, when Revy left to go to the United Arab Emirates. I don't recall Cheetah Boots at all. Nah, no, never heard of them. I mean, it's a, it's a brand connected to Greys. Don't they make cricket stuff? Mm. That's their main gig. Grey Nicholson Bat seems to sort of ring a bell with me. A short-lived, a short-lived intervention, perhaps, in the football market. Yeah. There's a note, notice they've got a side lace boot there as well, as well as a standard lace boot. I, I notice. Mm. I notice. And a cheater, in fact. Now, that never... That died a death somewhere, somewhere in the mid-1970s. And then we have Bobby Graham. Do you know what, guys? I haven't got a clue who Bobby Graham is. No. Who was Bobby Graham? I didn't recall him as well. City, yeah. He started at Liverpool. He was from Motherwell. Uh, he started at Liverpool and made his, made his debut in uh, Liverpool's first European Cup game against uh, Reykjavik in 1964. And he played 100 league games at, at Anfield between 64 wow. and 72. So many Scots, mm-hmm. so many Scots playing in the English top division. Yeah. You know, in a way that just isn't there to, you know, hasn't been for some time. But, I mean, we must have done like three or four at least already yeah. as we've kind of rolled through and there's more to come. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make a guess that that's Martin Bucking in the background as well. That could be. Well, I like that. I think you might be right. Mm-hmm. Could be. But yeah, I, I remember Bobby more from... From Motherwell, so he was at Motherwell '73 to '77, I think it was, and Hamilton Marquis and Queen of the South. Proper dirt on the man's jumper as well. Proper dirt on the strip, right? Yeah, yeah. In a way that, again, the modern synthetic, uh, you know, it just doesn't stick. In I mean, there's a lot less mud, of course, on today's pitches. I think that's probably the main issue. But it's good. Proper mud on the front of his shirt. Great, <laughs> love it. All right, over the page again then. So this is Sheffield United boss John Harris saying attack is still our best policy. Okay. Not quite the Sheffield United of today, but not a million miles away. Yeah. So there's a picture there of Eddie Colhoun. Again, he was, he was, a, he was a Scott, eh? Um, yeah. Sheffield yeah. United's captain. With sensational sideburns. <laughs> have you gentlemen ever sported large sideburns? Oh, yeah, I have, yeah. I couldn't if I wanted to. So. How big were they, Tom? I know, maybe sort of down about the ear kind of thing, just under my ear. Okay, and were they kept in trim or were they allowed to turn into small ropes? They were sort of trims, yeah. They weren't weren't out out the way. See, that's where so few few are doing that. Also on that page there is Fantastic Summer Olympic Double Offer, a wall chart and book for 85 pence. Was that something you would have had, David? Uh... I don't think I had that. I'll tell you what I did have. I mean, was the SO coin collection for mm-hmm. the 70 World Cup. You know, when it comes to collecting and wall charts, that's the one for me. And my old man at the time used to work on Sundays in uh, 
Warwick Market doing coats and dresses. And on the way back, he always used to stop at the Esso garage outside Warwick. And um, he would get me the, um, you know, the coins, you know, put in the petrol and get the coins. Anyway, I went up one Sunday with him to Warwick Market and um, on the way home, and I had my, you know, incomplete um, coin collection with me. And he, um, it was an extraordinary SO garage. It was run by seven Sikh brothers, all with turban. And um, they decided that my father was their blood brother. They'd read his palm and um, they absolutely, and when we rolled up there, like they cleaned the windscreen, checked the oil, put, if this is in the days, you know, when like somebody else put the petrol in at the garage and they gave me all the last coins to complete my collection. (laughs) And then, and then lined up to salute all seven of them, when my father and I drove out of the uh, garage. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I have such fond memories of the SO 1970 World Cup coin collection in its splendid blue cardboard mm. uh, sort of mount with the round holes cut into it. Summer Olympics, less so, you know, wasn't, wasn't really wasn't really focused on all of that. I mean, obviously watched the Olympics, it would have been on, but you know, for obsessional collecting, it's got to be football. This, this would have been the Munich Olympics, wouldn't it have? The, this would have been the, the massacre. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. An opportunity for all sorts of bad taste versions of the wall chart book to be envisaged. Yeah. Uh, interesting, I've noticed that's a, an example of a few wee non-football adverts in this issue of, of goal. There's a fishing thing, a cricket thing later on as well. Yeah, yeah. I think there's more crossover between sports maybe in those days. Less sort of a bit less of a monoculture about these mm. uh, about these things. No gambling adverts. Yeah. No gambling adverts. Well, the, 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 we may get to it. There's there's an article about um, allowing book, bookmakers in Scottish grounds later on in this magazine. I thought it was really interesting, wasn't it? And they say, no, we're not having it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, really good. Yeah. It's, again, it just, it's, it's so different to where we are at the moment, where it's saturated. Um, with, totally. And there we are trying to say, no, no, just stop it. I think I think they said Rangers and Celtic had already decided that they weren't having it. Right. Interesting. Really interesting. So over the over the page then, so we've got Terry Yorith, who minds being a sub with Leeds. So uh, at this time, Terry Yorith was a 22-year-old and he'd made 11 starts in the league and 11 substitute appearances for Leeds. And over the course of his career, he made 120 league starts for Leeds and 23 substitute appearances. So at this point, he's just talking about it's... He's happy just to be involved with Leeds United, whether he's starting or not. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, it's all terribly sort of tame, isn't it? The way it's sort of written up and terribly careful and not a sort of, you know, nothing out of place, not giving anything away. You just sort of know how things is going to roll. It, it does seem that way in this, certainly in this issue, that the, the bigger articles are a bit, Tamer, whereas the little snippet of thing that you know the short, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the big ones there. I mean, at the time, I'd have eaten them obviously for breakfast, Hmm. 
absolutely lapping it up, but from a distance. They're, uh, they're quaint is, is the <laughs> word that, that strikes me. Sitting alongside a certain kind of like quite sort of macho 70s masculinity on display, they're terribly sort of quaint schoolboy almost mm. in their tone, the, uh, the, um, uh, the articles. I love it that on the next page you have got the Leeds advert. What a great picture. Again, it's, uh, it's the FA Cup, isn't it? Leeds won the FA Cup. And we've got Peter Lorimer. And we've got Jack Charlton. Just Jack Charlton overshown him, looking just big smile on his face. Really, really love it, actually, to see, uh, to see that. Alan Clark and, yeah, all the ones you know and love. Yeah. And it's very simple for, that, for an advert there for Umbro. It's just a picture of the Leeds team celebrating the FA Cup. Yeah, and the rather bizarre crest that they had with LUFC and sort of strange, almost italic scripts stitched into the, uh, you know, it's no badge. You know, yeah. these days it's all turned into badges and logos. And it's, again, quaint is, uh, is how it strikes me. I think later on in the mag, there's a picture with uh, the little flaps, number flaps on the lead socks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which are really great. Are those that felt like the 21st century? So seeing that, what are they selling? Oh yeah, no, it's Umbro. They're selling shirts. And then we have Bobby Kellard. Forgive me, who the hell is Bobby Kellard? He played with Bristol City between '68 and '70, so he's guess yeah. okay. he's not quite your enemy. <laughs> Who's he playing for here? The Crystal Palace. Oh, it's a great Crystal Palace strip. What a fabulous Crystal Palace strip with like the big, thick red and blue stripe down the centre of the white shirt. Yeah. That is great. More of that, please. Yeah, I've I've said many a times, and there's a few other people on Twitter that agree with me, Crystal Palace have had some absolutely smashing. smashing. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. I love it. And what a nice, you know, round neck with the kind of coloured matching piping inside the round neck. Yeah. Classy. Coloured stripe on the top. And I have to say, I mean, as we're on, as we're appreciating the aesthetics of muddy football, <laughs> this boy is absolutely coated <laughs> in it. Yeah. The pitch doesn't even look that bad, to be honest. A bit no. Of- from... No, that bit of the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that was, you know, like watching the Martin Chivers goal, like we were talking about earlier at Molyneux 72. Ooh, ropey, ropey old pitch, you know, quite yeah. big bits, you know, mud, bare, and it was the end of a long season. But yeah, Bobby Kellard, who's yeah. he playing for Palace Big sideies as well. Yeah, he has got well good sideies. And <laughs> at the bottom there, we've got a, a cartoon, but it's a cricket cartoon. Well, it's taking the piss out of cricket, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's a... the joke, isn't it? It's like they're loving being at the cricket, but they're making the point that nobody's there. Which goes. County cricket by 1972 is pretty empty. Yeah. It's a funny one, though, isn't it? Like what's going on there? Laugh at cricket crowds. <laughs> I don't know if they just did cricket because it was sort of the off season for football because it was July. And they did a 
cricket cartoon through the summer months? I don't know. Could be. Could be. Booter, though, does strike me as a football cartoon. Mm. Yeah. Fine. We need to see more. <laughs> we need more to make sense of it. Uh, so over the page there, we've got, we've got um, Paul Went. Paul Went will play for his eighth manager. It's Fulham's new £80,000 centre-half Paul Went. Starts the new season with his third London club and an unusual record. At the age of 22, he will be playing under his eighth manager. I love that photograph of him. It says, happy to be at Fulham. And he certainly looks it. I mean, he looks dumb. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, things are good. Yeah. Things are good for young Paul. Yeah. I like it that they describe, describe him as strapping. The strapping went. Yeah. They don't, you don't get, no one's, not often anybody's strapping anymore, is it? Yeah. I like that. I also, where is it? The layout's quite funny. There's this funny piece about Rangers injury victim, Ronnie McKinnon, is ready to challenge, etc. Yeah. Just stuck in there. Who was Ronnie McKinnon? I think you guys will know a lot more than me about this gentleman. Actually, you say the layout strange and, it got me at first because I thought it was just that little bit. Exactly. Of- yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I thought. And then I'm oh, no, yeah, like, So, so Ronnie, um, he, he left to play, he left to go to South Africa after finishing with Rangers in 1977, I think it was. He had 28 Scotland caps and 301 league games for, for Rangers. Now, and I can never understand this, but his, na- his brother's name was Donnie. So you've got Ronnie McKinnon and Donnie McKinnon. Who does that? Someone had a sense of humour. Um, I don't know if they were, were they twins, Tom. Do you know? Were they I just? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but but, but Donnie played for Partick Thistle. I know that. I think he was pretty much a one-man club. Maybe I don't know if he played for anyone else. But Ronnie and Donnie—that's Ronald and Donald. Even even the full names don't work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And the other article there we've got is Swansea reject is an £800,000 target. And it's about Giorgio Chinalia, uh, who is now with Lazio. And uh, the article's about really how he didn't make an impression in uh, Swansea. Uh, do you remember much? Do you remember much of Chinalia, David? I, I've, I mean, I've learned about him later. He played yeah. quite a bit in the States. The New York Cosmos, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of where, that's actually where I. That's sort of mentally where I place him is yeah. at the Cosmos rather than this bit of his uh, career. I mean, it's probably four or five years later that he ends up in the States. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's a, there's a wee quote, uh, quote there from um, one of the former coaches at Swansea, and he says, I'll never forget one match he played in the West Wales Cup against Milford Athletic, which we won 7-2 and Giorgio scored 6 I always remember their centre half saying after the game, if that's what Macaroni does for you, get me some quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love it, the thought of Macaroni is exotic. (laughs) 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 Uh, Right, Andy, so over to you for the next bit. Yes, so... From the likes of the shoot magazines and match magazines, they would have player profiles, David. So what we're going to do is turn it on yourself. So we're going to do a focus on you. So I'm going to ask you some questions and a few answers. So we'll start off, full name. David Stephen Goldblatt. Dr. David Stephen Goldblatt. Okay. What was your birthplace? Uh, Bushy in Hertfordshire. What was your first car? 
Uh, a really crap green Renault 5. Okay. Who's your favourite player of all time? Zidane. Favourite football team? I'll take two. Tottenham Hotspurs, Bristol Rovers. What's well, the, thank God. Yeah. What's the most memorable memorable match? Uh, that I've actually been at or that I've just watched? Either, I suppose. Uh, the most memorable match that I've been at, I think, was Red Star Belgrade versus Partizan Belgrade in 2003, where the Partizan fans set the stadium on fire. And I was the only person in the stadium concerned by this. <laughs> it was played out the full 90 minutes with one stand actually in flames. And they're just going, yeah, just, just, just watch the game, mate. And Red Star won 3-0. They, that, that that was really good. I think probably my other most memorable match, 2006 World Cup, going to see um, France versus Spain in the round of 16 in Hanover. And I realised, you know, at that point, Zidane was due to retire from international football at the end of the tournament. It was all announced. I thought, wow, could be his last game, could be the last time, you know, I won't see him again mm. in the flesh. And um, he had a, an amazing game and won the game for France. I think he scored two goals, including one sort of, you know, ran half the length of the pitch, controlled an impossible ball on the rounded top of his you know, thigh while running uh, and scored a goal. That, you know, that I feel like that's one of the few occasions I've really been there to see, you know, in the flesh, like football genius in front mm. of you. Uh, so yeah, they're my they're my top. Oh, and of course, Bristol Rovers versus Grimsby Town Conference Playoff 2015. I think mm. the only time I've seen Rovers really win something that was absolutely sensational. Yeah, excellent, good answers. So, what's been the biggest thrill of your life? Uh, the biggest thrill of my life. Ooh, uh, my children, I guess without being wishing to be too corny. But okay. I think in the end, kids. Okay, what's been your biggest disappointment? Uh, oh, so many. Uh, you know, the Labour Party. Um, uh, probably, you know, I mean, I'm a lifelong member. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that's probably one of the biggest disappointments of my life, I would say, actually. Yeah. Fair enough, yep. So what's the best country that you've visited? Uh, I mean, I'm a real fan of Uruguay. I'm a real fan of Uruguay. I mean, you know, three million people, two World Cups, it's pretty good. Um, you know, legal marijuana, loads of sunshine, really tranquilo, as they call it, like mellow. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I really, really like Uruguay. I mean, Denmark as a whole, I don't know, but Copenhagen is like the most civilised, amazing city that mm. I have ever been to in my life. Like, everywhere. Everyone should be living, like, you know, the way the Danes have got it organised. You know, barely any cars, cycle and walk everywhere. Everybody really looking really healthy, really happy, you know. So I'm a big fan of uh, Copenhagen. I mean, I think for like sheer, like jaw on the floor, 
I can't believe what I'm seeing. Nothing tops India. Mm. I mean, I, I've done a lot of traveling, you know, and I was quite old, but I was like in my 40s when I first went to India. And really, my chin was just on the floor for two weeks. Like, I do not believe what I'm seeing there uh, in, in, in an amazing way. So, yeah, I think there my there's something very special about India. It made me really sick, of course. Mm. I'm sure I could live there, but really, really extraordinary thing to see. Lovely. Okay, if you, if the next answer isn't macaroni, I'm going to be really disappointed, okay? Favourite food? Uh, hummus falafel. Right. Gotta be. I mean, if I can only eat one thing forever, if as it were, mm. falafel and hummus, sure. That's fair enough, yep. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Miscellaneous likes, so give us a couple of things that you like doing. Uh, I really like letterpress printing on an old school printing sort of frame. Uh, I really like growing vegetables. Um, you know, uh, I really like watching cricket. I've got a soft spot for playing it a bit. Uh, I don't know if they're sort of weird enough or kinky enough, <laughs> kinky enough for you. Well, the, the, the letter printing is fascinating for me because, I, I mean, I, I've got a fast collection of gold magazines, shoot magazines and things. And what fascinates me going through the older ones is just the the fonts they use isn't quite incredible. Yeah. The, the totally out of place fonts. That, oh, yeah. It's all, everything looks different. Once yeah. you've done a bit of printing as well, you kind of, I was looking at the, um, Irish Declaration of Independence that was printed in the GPO in Dublin in 1916 in the middle of the Easter Rising. And, you know, like then, if you wanted to have a revolution, you couldn't rely on Twitter. You had to have a printing press, right? So they had their own printing press in the GPO. And I was looking at it in the Museum of Dublin, and I was like, oh, you've missed a few E's out. And you asked the wrong way round, and your spacing's all over the place in the second paragraph. And it's like, but that's what I really like about it, you know. With digital printing, everything, it's all right. It's all, there are no mistakes. There's nothing very kind of warm or broken or analog or human about it. And that's like, I like that about, um, I like that about printing. Yeah, the, the problem with modern printing is that there's the very real possibility that people do it in Comic Sans. And, uh, uh, oh, there is. Yes, there's that too. <laughs> okay, so next question a couple of things you dislike so a couple of things that drive you up the wall uh the conservative party absolutely top of the list um i would say uh racists mm -hmm. uh you know uh nativist english nationalists they're all pretty pretty high on my list uh what else do i dislike? Uh, I, did see, I did see only two but on you go <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough. That that covers that covers a lot of territory. It's best not to dwell on the negative. Okay, favorite TV show of all time? Seinfeld. Seinfeld and the Bilko show. Remember Bilko back in yeah, the day? Yeah, absolutely. Remember it? My dad, my dad was a big, big fan of Bilko and made yeah, it same here. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love a bit of Bilko. I mean, and then. I don't know if it counts as a TV show in the sense that, you know, like I binge watched it on DVD, but uh, The Wire. Yeah. Like at the serious end of things, The Wire is totally incomparable. It's the greatest piece of television ever made. As far yeah, as well, I'll give you that. You know, it's of Dickensian proportions in its capacity to render 
Baltimore in all its kind of human and social complexity. Um, so yeah, but for like for laughs, I think we're in uh, we're we're Seinfeld and Bilko. Okay, favorite singers. So I'll give you two two favorite singers or bands. Favorite singers or bands. Uh, so difficult. You're actually faced with that. I mean, you know, like the Beatles would have to be up there. I would say. I mean, I would have to have. Got to have Miles Davis though. I don't know if he counts as either of those things. He's not really a singer or a band. Yeah, he's a musician. Mm. Yeah, we'll take that. We'll take that. Miles and the Beatles. Okay. Two favourite actors. I love really Marlon Brando's pretty extraordinary actor, um, who I find very compelling on the uh, very compelling on the screen. Uh, I mean, I'd quite like to say Phil Silvers for his one extraordinary performance in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, but I don't think that really, <laughs> I don't think that really counts. Um, well, do you know, I'm really, it's funny. I, I really, th- I don't really have favourite actors. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, you know, I love them and they're brilliant and I really respect what they do, but I would never watch a movie because a given actor was in it. Do you know what I mean? It would like never ever occur to me as the criteria. You know, I love watching them do what they do, but you know, is there anyone who really find like compelling? I mean, you know, I've got a real soft spot for Julianne Moore, you know, so I think we'll throw her in there. And you know, bless Werner Herzog when he's an actor, he's pretty hysterical. <laughs> okay, who's your best friend? My best friend, oh, and I'd have to say my missus. Okay. Who's uh, been the biggest influence on you? Uh, my father, uh, my missus, uh, Raymond Williams, um, uh, Perry Anderson. Um, sort of intellectually, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Thompson, my PhD supervisor, who really taught me how to write. Uh, David Held, who I worked with when I was an academic back in the day, uh, and was a big influence in my sort of early intellectual development. Uh, my history teacher, Quinn Davis, who at the ripe old age of 14, made us study line by line the Communist Manifesto mm-hmm. at school. I've never really looked back actually after that. So all of those guys. Excellent. So last question, which person in the world would you most like to meet? Whoa, who would I really like to meet? Um, Wow. Well, I'd quite like to meet Xi Jinping. I think actually, like really, if you're saying, you know, someone you could get to who you would never normally have the chance, yeah, I'd like a couple of hours with Xi Jinping. I mean, he's really obsessed with football. So mm-hmm. we definitely, you know, between that and Chinese plans for hegemonic domination of the world order, I think <laughs> we'd have quite a lot to talk about. Excellent. Okay, great answer. And thank you. Back to you, Tom. Yeah, oh, uh, just before we dip back into the magazine, David, I'm just going to ask you with regards to your, your books. So all your books are quite, I mean, I think like the ball is round, about a thousand pages. They're quite wide ranging. I wondered about your research. How do you sort of stop 
the research getting just getting carried away with the, the research because there's obviously there's so many wee rabbit holes you can go down and with these days with YouTube and various other things, it, there's, there can be no end to research. How, how do you sort of rein it in and decide, I've done enough? Oh, deadlines and poverty. <laughs> That's nothing like having a deadline and not enough money in the bank. That don't know, focus, <laughs> uh, focus attention. Um, I'm quite ruthless as well. I mean, I've been at it for 20 years now, yeah. so I kind of, I know how to cut my, cut according to my cloth, you know, and um, I'm quite good at just saying no enough. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I struggle with it, you know, uh, as you can imagine, but quite a lot of self, just sort of self-discipline is the only way because, you know, with subject, you know, the subjects of global football, as you say, I really could be, I could be on Twitter for the rest of my life, never <laughs> mind YouTube. So um, a certain kind of like intellectual ruthlessness eventually kind of kicks in. And, you know, yeah, just deadlines and, you know, exhaustion. Exhaustion is <laughs> quite good as well for like going enough. Yeah, so, I mean, if there's anything that you want to pick out, uh, David, before we got off, just like... Well, Edmondo Febreze, you know, sunglasses, the new manager of Cagliari on the next, on the page after that. Look at that. I mean, we're in some sort of, you know, Italian kind of, you know, modernist movie, aren't we, in those glasses? I mean, they're just something, like, stylish and creepy at the same time about them. I think they're great. Yeah. It's a character out of the Godfather or something. Exactly. Background. The best thing on this page is under Worldwide Goal by Leslie Vernon. Greek <laughs> trio band, right? What an explosive affair the Greek Cup final turned out to be. The finalists, Aris and P-A-C-K, I think P-A-O-K, but anyway, are both from Salonika. Um, again, we never call it Salonika anymore. We call it Thessaloniki. And the local rivalry, this is it, mixed with the often uncontrollable Greek temperament led to a riot. <laughs> Too funny. Too funny. Though, you know, the truth is that this shit sort of still happens in Greek football. I mean, you know, games are always getting abandoned and four referees attack. Yeah, four minutes before full time, three Aris players attack referee Mikas, giving him a severe beating before <laughs> police intervened. The other thing that I saw super nostalgically on this page that I really wanted to check in with was the announcement that the following January they were going to uh, celebrate uh, Britain's accession to the European community or European uh, common market as it was then known uh, by playing a game at Wembley six versus three yeah. six original members of the European uh, community and then the three new Ireland, Denmark and Britain and they fielded the team and played a game at Wembley. I just thought, lordy, yeah. there's a big long cycle that we've been through. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, uncontrollable, often uncontrollable Greek temperament is absolutely priceless, isn't it? Yeah, I would certainly that that common market plans. Well, I'd certainly watch that. I don't know if I'd watch the equivalent nowadays. You know, if they did a game of football to celebrate Brexit, I don't think. I'd... <laughs> well, I'm not sure that our friends on the continent would really want to play, <laughs> would they? Yeah. I think they might say, "Fine, we'll take our ball home." Actually, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, that's quite nice. It's interesting me bit there about the Inter Milan president saying it's uh, it's time to time to buy British. Yeah, <laughs> surely he wasn't thinking of cars. 
<laughs> I don't think you did particularly buy British. No. Though. I mean, you may have wanted to, but I'm not sure you really found. Did anybody go to Inter? Well, that's what that's what I was that's why I was looking it up. I couldn't see any really any major foreign signings in the seventies. But as far as British signings went, Joe Jordan going to AC Milan in 1981. Uh, it was really about the first of that era, and then Trevor Francis and Luther Blissett followed. Okay. But, and of course, Liam Brady. Uh, yeah, there's that left little English football. of people going and making it in Italy. Yeah, interesting. So, Italy, the 80s, was it? They banned foreigners from there completely, was it? They had a couple of seasons, and then they allowed them back in. Yeah. I'm going to jump ahead, guys. Yeah, sure. And again, this is really one for you. Dumbarton's baptism of fire. So yep. first of all, how brilliant that shoots gold's got Dumbarton is featuring, mm. which is not getting much of a shout out these days. And certainly not in England. I mean, I really like, again, the sort of nostalgia for an era of equivalence between England and Scotland in these things, or much more than there is today. And much more of a sense of what was going on in Scotland in England and that it was something worth taking notice of. Whereas that's just been, it's just been lost basically. Mm. I mean, since Gaza frankly left Rangers, but really, you know, it, it, it hasn't made, unless you're looking. Anyway, Dumbarton's Baptism of Fire, they've just come up from the second to the first. But what I love is the picture of Willy Wigan. <laughs> who is, look at this face, my people. Well, I, like, they really don't make footballers like this dude anymore, do they? How would you describe him? He looks like one tough fucker, right? Yeah. Deep set features, I would call that. <laughs> you got yeah, to, you know, in, in his defence, it looks as though there is a massive sun straight in his face because, you know, he's got that, um, the eyebrows coming down as well. It's but yeah. True. It's not, it really isn't the most flattering. He does look, I'd like to see him and Terry Hennessy <laughs> go, go a few rounds. So uh, over the page there, we've got this, the, the betting thing we were talking about earlier, earlier that's on. Right, yeah, again, and it's a Scottish story. And then look, we've got a Scottish story uh, alongside it. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah, early, the West, West of Scotland bookmaking firm suggested betting shops should be established inside all the big sporting stadiums in the area. Interestingly, Celtic and Rangers turned it down. Everybody else was up for it. You can imagine, because they were then as now, everybody's broke. I wonder why, why would Celtic and Rangers have turned it down? Oh, maybe because they had their own pools, maybe. Um, True, possible. Yeah. I mean, you'd have thought they'd have made a few quid out of it. I can't imagine it was for sort of, you know, anti-gambling, moralistic social mm -hmm. policy, uh, social yeah. policy reasons. Interesting. Yeah. Who else we got? Doug Smith, Dundee United's Mr. Remarkable. Why was he Mr. Remarkable? <laughs> the one club man, he, he was there for his entire career. How, how many was it? Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he, his entire career there. And it's a bit there, but... Sorry, just Sorry. Doug Smith as well. He was never booked. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Never booked. Even Gary Lineker. Yeah. Mm. He was a central defender. So you, you can... Right, that's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. That is really extraordinary, actually. He never got booked. Mm -hmm. A central defender in Scottish football <laughs> in the 1970s, he never got booked. Yeah. How can this... 
That's mm. almost like defying the laws of gravity, isn't it? Yeah. 627 league appearances in total. Never booked. Blessing. Mm. Blessing. Alan West Burnley. He's not on my radar. A very youthful looking character. And again, Burnley with those rather sort of, you know, hand stitched BFC. Mm. Can you see? Mm. Yeah. yeah. About that whole, that whole vibe. Uh, Else. I, the other thing I really wanted to pick out was uh, just the extraordinary piece on English footballers in South Africa. Yeah. I mean, this is 1972. This is like high, high apartheid. You know, it's not so long ago that we've had, you know, the Soweto uprising is going to happen in four years. So you can imagine things are a bit tense in South Africa. And it's like, it's a completely white South Africa, a completely white, unproblematic, just like you go to South Africa, like you go and play in Canada or you go and play in Australia. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really, I just thought that was really interesting. They seem to have, you know, there's a whole thing, oh, they're a bit rough over there. The referees give you no protection. They seem to allow the hackers and kickers to get away with it all the time. It's like, Really? That's that's what you're noticing in South Africa? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Move on to... And there's just a wee bit there on goalposts there about joining George Best's official club. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? People used to have their own sort of like cottage industry official fan clubs. You know, no, no agencies, no branding department, like really, really cottage industry kind of uh, kind of stuff. I love these little adverts. I particularly like, I mean, it's a little bit further on, but I'll just pull it out now. I love the classifieds. Yeah. Aren't they great? And what I particularly like, gentlemen, I'm sure you noticed it, was unusual pen friends. Excitingly <laughs> different. With it, friendship. Send now. SAE to Bureau des Amir. Like, What's that about, people? <laughs> what what are they saying? There's also pen friends opposite sex. You can enjoy friendship throughout England and abroad from World Friendship Enterprises, Amherst Park, N16. So I would that there's that, but definitely the unusual pen friends. Yeah. I want I want to know more. What's going on? I mean, you're talking about the the George Best fan club. One of the the best adverts I've seen related to George Best in these magazines was a George Best um oh, what's the word what's the word uh <laughs> what's the word uh, well, you're gonna have to give me more clues oh, I can't believe wallet no 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 for, for coat hanger George Best coat hanger that's what it was <laughs> and, and it was basically it was a picture of him you know <laughs> with, with hang up with the coat as well and it was just like really Really? I love that. Now, tell me the truth, guys. Have you tried to fill in the the crossword? Crossword, no. Because this copy of Gold, someone's done about two-thirds of the crossword. Yeah. They've left, I, which I particularly, I particularly like. <laughs> 24 across I can do. Proportion 5 begins R, ends O, ratio. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 16 down. That's 16. 17, 18. Collection of cows or oxen. Like what? Something heard, but 
I love it. Oxen that they distinguish. I know beef herd, maybe. Could be beef herd, yeah. Could be beef herd. So what about uh, what's seven down? The something's nickname of Newport, beginning with an I. What's Newport's nickname? Oh, oh, I don't know that. Should do though. Ten across, Coventry defender last season, Jeff. See, we're not up on 72, are we? We're struggling. We're struggling. 22 down. Something, oh, something, come on, gentlemen, you'll know this. Something Park, home of Wraith Rovers. Start. Yeah, Start. Yeah, so at least we get that one. Uh, so if we go to page 32, there was that wee bit you mentioned earlier on, David, about the Irish clubs um, being banned from European football and um, therefore wanting into the Texaco Cup. Yeah, amazing. Really interesting. I mean, particularly because, um, yeah, the reluctance of foreign clubs to travel to trouble to Northern Ireland. I mean, it's very easy to forget. This is 1972. I mean, Belfast is in flames. You know, this is the year of Bloody Sunday. Yeah, it was the worst year of the time. happened, you know, and we're two years from the Sunningdale process. I mean, this is like, this is full on the troubles. Yeah. This is, you know, it's it, it's a it's a proper civil war and urban uprising at this point, and uh, I mean it's a miracle that the kind of home championships carried on. You know, amazingly, yeah. imagine like you know England. I mean, I have heard on this front there's been noises on the Tory backbenchers saying, "Oh, wouldn't it be splendid if we revived the British home championships now?" And I just thought, oh, can you imagine? Send an England team to Scotland right now. <laughs> You're not going to be getting a celebration of the union. Yeah, that, yeah. Would, be, that would be my reading of the uh, of the situation. You certainly wouldn't get it going to Ireland. My God. Yeah. So, so uh, Scotland boycotted playing in Ireland from 1970 to 1981. Right. Um, Scotland wouldn't. Scotland wouldn't go. And the, the only reason that we went was because we get joined against Northern Ireland in the World Cup group, and so right. the SFE they couldn't refuse to play because they would get thrown out of the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, so there was yeah. nothing in the home international scene you had to do. And then they go. stopped 84, I think, was the last one. Last championship. Yeah, yeah Northern Ireland's got the trophy to keep, yeah. <laughs> and then a just stupendous picture of Frank Clark at home with his dog and his missus. I mean, again, it's like, oh, it's such a wonderful different era, you yeah. know, mate. <laughs> They never, footballers, you never see them with their kids and their family. They never pose for those photographs anymore, do they? Yeah. They like meet, the, meet the girl behind the man. Is that, is exactly. That, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That whole trope has been. And then we come, look, Bristol Rovers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is good. Uh, Don Megson says at Bristol Rovers, football is like boxing, which given, given what I've seen at Bristol Rovers, is like... And eternal truth in some ways. What a laugh. Still struggling away in Division 3. I like that very much. He's replacing Bill Dodgen, uh, who who says, what was it? I would rather lose a match playing well than win playing badly. But Megson retorts, as it says. I would rather win playing badly than lose playing well. I'd just like us to win occasionally. <laughs> that, would do, that would do me nicely. Yeah. And if we just whip on there to the last page, uh, yeah. last, last page of goals, a colour photograph, uh, and we've got Charlie George uh, of Arsenal and Alan Oaks of Manchester City, and if you notice, Charlie George is wearing these red Hummel boots. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, yes, isn't he? Charlie George. I mean, obviously, I hated him. <laughs> um, you know, and I hated it when he won, you know, he scored that goal and lay on his back and put his hands in the air and won Arsenal the FA Cup. I mm. really, really hated it. And yet, he is so imprinted. You know, he does, to see Charlie Jules just is transported for me. I'm seven. I'm, mm. I'm sitting in, you know, the front room of our house in Ricelet on the really, even then it was terrible threadbare orange sort of swirly carpet. And watching, and watching, you know, the FA Cup, and there he is. It's really, um, yeah, it's amazing how these things. I mean, it won't be news to you guys. This is very much your department, but it is extraordinary how it really just so stays with you. Yeah, and interesting. No, both players are wearing shin guards, yeah. which you maybe didn't always see in the seventies. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. you've got me on the pitch without shin guards, Lordy. <laughs> But you're talking about those boots, Tom. I think that's possibly the first time I've seen them properly on a, a player. I've got a brilliant advert for, for the Hummel boots, those ones. And they look pink in that one, but they still look stunning. But in here, they, they do look a bit redder than they do in the advert. All right, gentlemen, you're gonna. I'm going to have to love and leave you. It's been a joy to spend time with you. No, no problem. Listen, th thank you for joining us. It's been... Uh, really enjoyable and an absolute pleasure so th th i hope you've enjoyed it as well oh it's been an absolute it's been a joy it's been a joy the, un the uncontrollable greek temperament <laughs> i must find i'm going to see if i can find a uh, a way of actually writing that in a sentence <laughs> before i die that is superb after david left us myself and andy went through some more pages of the magazine page 24 Soccer Giants chase keeper who turned down Rangers. And uh, this is about Dave McWilliams, uh, who signed for Alloa Athletics. Started his career at Johnston Borough and uh, moved to Alloa in 1971. It sort of, it sort of suggests that that he, he he was offered a contract with Rangers and just didn't agree to join them. But he, I think it was with Rangers for a period, but he just decided not to go full-time with them. And then he went to Alloa. But from what I've checked, he also played for Airdrie. And appeared in the Scottish Cup final with a loss to Celtic. And he played for Clyde as well. I've actually seen his name appear in a few of the results pages that we've done. I think there was a Clyde one, Clyde Bank one or something, and he was in goals for that one. Yeah, six foot three. You search for Dave McWilliams on Google. The first article that comes up is from 1995, and it's where he get done for drink driving. But he, get, he, he was having a barbecue with his then girlfriend and uh, her son and apparently a spark from the barbecue jumped out and, and hit her son and she went berserk and threw him out because he, he insisted it was, a, it was an accident but she told him uh, to, to leave and take his car with him so he drove away and she apparently immediately phoned the police to say he was drunk driving so when he turned up at his house the, the police were there to arrest him he refused to give a, a sample uh, and so he got lifted and uh, I get done for time. Yeah, and he says in, in the report from the Herald, he says, I, um, you know, I, I will never be speaking to her again. <laughs> quite right, quite right. Yeah, and there's a wee bit there about Alistair McLean, uh, the goalkeeper there, uh, Air United. 
Uh, he played 56 league games for Ayr before joining Ali McLeod at Aberdeen. Uh, but he only played 12 games at Aberdeen before going back to Ayr, possibly on loan. Uh, and he also played for St Mirren, Partick Thistle, Motherwell, and then he went junior again with Cumnock, Irvine Meadow, and Peters Hill. Uh, but an interesting wee, uh, wee bit there for Ali, Ali McLeod, saying they basically lost track of him. So they were, they were tracking him. Uh, when Ayr scouts turned up to watch him, both he and his club had disappeared. It was right at the end of the season and the amateur team Fennec Thistle had been disbanded for the summer. Four months later, he turned up again, this time with our Drossen and Winton Rovers. Uh, Ayr boss Ali McLeod said, uh, We had written off the lad from Fennec. We thought this McLean was somebody completely different. <laughs> we certainly never forgot about him after that because it was him that signed him for Air United, then Aberdeen and then Motherwell. Yeah. So he signed him three times. So he certainly never forgot him. Yeah, so so there's a, a part of the Dumbarton bit was about mentioning John Cushley yeah. there as well, who who was all, who started off at Celtic and he was actually in as you would be well aware of this, he was in the squad that travelled to Lisbon for the, the European Cup final, but he, he didn't play anything. Yeah, so Cushley was a languages graduate at Glasgow Uni at, at the time, and Celtic that used him as a translator on trips on trips abroad. Because he speak, yeah. speak Spanish fluently, and I think in other couple of languages as well. I think I think he's well thought of by Celtic yeah, fans yeah. who come back yeah. there. And he was a school teacher and then a, um, a reporter as well. He became a journalist as well. And apparently, some some of the players who uh, were taught by him still called him sir, even when he was a, a football yeah. a football journalist. He's one one who so he sadly died two thousand and eight sixty five and another one of these players who died of motor motor neurons disease. Sadly. Uh, so just looking at that we've got page twenty five with George O'Neill. So uh, O'Neill flies the distress signal. Uh, so this is about uh, George O'Neill, who started at, at Celtic, 28-year-old midfield man who's played for Celtic, Partick, Morton and Dunfermline, was released from East End Park after his last club had plunged back into the second division. Uh, if he doesn't find a club soon, he's in trouble. The present unemployment queue in Scotland is 150,000 people long. Uh, and interestingly, what he says there is, uh, if I don't get fixed up with a club, I may have to immigrate to the United States. I've been offered terms by the Ukrainian club in Philadelphia, and I could also get another job there. But I don't really want to leave Scotland. And Goal says, the dull queue of the immigrant ship it's a sad prospect for Scotland's full-timers when the axe falls. Uh, and uh, George O'Neill did uh, go, to Australia, uh, go to America to play with the Philadelphia Atoms. And interestingly, while he was there, he played twice for the USA national team, um, both times in 1973 against uh, Haiti. I'm assuming he stayed out there because he managed also at Philadelphia between 78 and 80, and then later at the University of Pennsylvania between 94 and 97. So it's appears to have worked out for him but yeah very strange what you mentioned there about him playing for the two games for the the national um, i wonder what the criteria was what, yeah because there's also a thing because we look at um don megson uh and mm. obviously he's the father of gary megson the he's another son as well uh, who was a footballer but uh but he only played he only played in america played in, in indoor football in america but got two cats for the american national team as well so yeah, they must have had some quite sort of lax rules on on the nationalisation. You never know; there might be games that weren't recognised by FIFA, right enough. But yeah, uh, I Neil Megson, uh, it was yeah. 
So, so there's that. There's an advert on this page. Take the Terry Cooper coaching course. Build your soccer skills, and it's send an SAE to my letter sports. Spend Vale Mills, Station Lane, and Heckmanwike, which again is very, very close to me. Now I've checked it out, and this company is still active and still based in the same place, according to Company's House. So they were incorporated, I think, in 1970. Well, my this is 72, so I think it was 73. So they were a limited company the year after this. So they've obviously been about for a long time, but they're still there. Just on Alan West as well, he's currently he's a club cha- chaplain at Luton Town. There was a bit about Wrexham in Europe. Yeah, so this bit is Wrexham aim to shake Europe. Uh, and this is uh, Wrexham's uh, debut season in uh, the European Cup Winners' Cup. And um, do we know how, how they got on? They do. They played Zurich. In the, the first game, they drew 1-1 at home, and then they won 2-1 away. So they won 3-2 on aggregate. And that was Hadjuk split, where they drew three each over two legs, but went out and away goals. So won 3-1 at home and lost 2-0 away. Very sad. And uh, Arthur Duncan yeah. here. Uh, Arthur Duncan uh, of Hibernian, so born in Falkirk, 1947. Uh, Arthur joined Hibs from Partick Thistle for the bargain price of 30 grand. Uh, and he became a mainstay of the Hibernian side of the early 1970s. And apparently his nickname was Nijinsky because of his pace. But he, I, I doubt he would have had much pace with those uh, trainers that he's got on there. So so the photograph of him is um, on a match day and he's he's kneeling down. You can see the crowd in the background. But whether it's, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the reason for wearing trainers without any studs would be the, the, the pitch would be frozen probably, that's the only real reason I can think of, but they don't look as if they're going to provide much grip for him and he's wearing a ring yeah, as well uh, Well I was, going to, I was going to touch on there that bit about um, Frank Swift so yeah, so there's a wee, flash, there's a wee flashback uh, section here where they talk about Frank Swift and his performance in goal um, when England beat Italy uh, in 1948, and uh, so it's um, Super Swift was England's ace, and it talks about the number of number of amazing saves uh, that, that he made that day. So he was named England's captain uh, that day, Frank Swift, and apparently pride uh, that day um, made him make sure that uh, the Italians didn't put a goal past him. What a match he had! His first half show saved England from a hammering and steered them to a fantastic 4-0. Their first win in Italy, uh, but the sort of sad thing to to know also Frank Swift uh, was killed in the Munich air disaster, and uh, six of that uh, Italy team uh, were killed in an air disaster the following year. So seven players from Torino, six of them were killed in that tragic uh, air crash in 1949, uh, including the, the captain Valento Mazzola. So just um, mm. by a, a horrible coincidence, both captains in that game. Uh, well, later, but well, within the next ten years, we killed an aircraft. Just on on the the meet the girl behind the man. The the thing I loved about that was so it's Frank Clark and we've got Sylvia Clark and F- Frank's. So it's a family photograph. And you've got Frank sitting on the the arm of the the sofa. He's he's got his dog cuddled up beside him or on his lap, and then there's his wife with Joanne, who's nine months, and he's got Sharon on a like a toy buggy in front as well. Now, the interesting thing, so Frank is one of five brothers who all played in the Football League, but he was the only one not to play for Walsall. Okay. 
Uh, and there's a wee advert for a uh, fishing reel. Be like the champion is Yuzi Garcia fishing reel. So like I was saying earlier on, there's a few non-football uh, adverts in this one. Send a three-pence stamp for free catalogues. I remember years and years and years ago finding out that fishing was one of the, the, the top sports in the UK, and that always really, you know, struck me as strange, probably because it's not something I've, you know, been interested in or done anything like that, but apparently is one of these, like, hugely... Um, hugely appreciated, you know, pastime that we get involved with. Yeah. So just on the, so we did touch on Bristol Rovers here, and this season they, I think we we maybe mentioned it earlier on. I they think they finished fifth in the league this okay. season. And I, I was I was going to say to to David, so we we could technically count the Watney's Cup. As it was probably pre-season, as in the 72-73 yep. season. 73 was when Spurs won the League Cup. Was it the FA Cup? The, yeah, they won the League Cup. So, both in the same season, you've got Bristol Rovers winning the Watney Cup. So, you know, if he'd known back then that it was a Bristol Rovers sport, he could have had a really good season. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so, George Mohall former Scottish international left winger with Aberdeen and Sunderland has taken over one of soccer's toughest jobs without even applying for it. So he's become the, the boss of Halifax, Halifax town. So he, he, he started off from 1953 to 62 at Aberdeen, 110 league appearances. He moved to Sunderland, played 253 league games there. Then the South African um, bit here as well, he moved to Cape Town between 69 and 71 and played there for a few years. He played one game for Morton in 71-72. He's actually got three Scotland caps as well. So he managed at Halifax between 72 and 74 before moving on to Bradford between 78 and 81, then Bolton and then back at Halifax Town again. And the season with Halifax, they finished um, one place outside the third division relegation zone on goal average. So he managed to keep them up if that was his job. So, our charity partner this season is the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share, and this charitable organisation provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. A school uniform bank, school holidays brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons, and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community in supporting individuals and families, and we will be looking to support them any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers. We will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the great work that they do, but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are actually aware of these vital services. You can follow them on Western Bartonshire Community Food Share Group on Facebook or westernbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk for their website. Also, keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. Um, we also have a newsletter that you can subscribe to. Tom, do you want to tell them about the newsletter? Yeah, so the newsletter not just has news on our podcast, but it's also got lots of other football nostalgia-related things in it. There's usually a recommendation of another football podcast that you can listen to. We look out some... Great games that you can find on YouTube, some football documentaries, 
and uh, we recommend some football books and we usually do a wee spotlight on something that we've talked about in, the, in that particular episode. So uh, find it on our website, sign up, subscribe, and uh, also if you would like to go and review the show on uh, iTunes or Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. And we have been getting some donations into us and some money, so thank you for everyone who's been involved with that. Um, we really do appreciate it. Just to, as Tom mentions there, if you go to the website, it's shootthebreezepod, all one word, .co.uk. You can get the, the past podcast that we've done as well as the ability to sign up to the newsletter from there. I'd just like to say thank you to Tom for being Tom. Thanks, Andy. I'd like to thank you all for listening out there, following the podcast. Um, give us some feedback. Get involved if you can on Twitter. Any other way of getting, send us a postcard, a letter, anything like that. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. <laughs>